This is the Find Your Forte podcast, episode 14. You have the passion. You have the education. Now it's time for the inspiration. Get ready to step up to the podium with purpose. This is the Find Your Forte podcast with choral director and lifestyle entrepreneur, Ryan Guth. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Find Your Forte podcast. I am here with Dr. J.D. Burnett, who enjoys a varied career as a conductor, singer, and teacher. He is Assistant Professor of Music and Associate Director of Choral Activities at the University of Georgia, Hugh Hodgson School of Music, where he conducts the Men's and Women's Glee Clubs and the Collegia Musicum, and teaches courses in choral literature and conducting. Additionally, he is Artistic Director and Conductor of the Canara Ensemble, a professional chamber choir based out of Princeton, New Jersey. Formerly, he served as Assistant Director of the Dallas Symphony Chorus and conducted New Jersey Youth Chorus Young Men's Ensemble, was Associate Conductor of the Masterwork Chorus of New Jersey, and was Acting Director of Choral Activities at Montclair State University. His earlier posts include Interim Director of Choral Activities at San Jose State University, Artistic Director of the New Jersey Chamber Singers, Music Director of Houston Masterworks Chorus, and Founder slash Conductor of Men's Consort Houston. Burnett taught on the choral music faculty at Kingwood High School in suburban Houston. He also served as choral editor at McGraw-Hill Incorporated. Dr. Burnett did his undergraduate study at Stanford and Oklahoma State University. He also holds degrees in choral conducting from both Westminster Choir College and the University of North Texas. As a professional singer, Burnett has performed seasons, concerts, and recordings with the Stillwater Chamber Singers, Cantare Houston, the Santa Fe Desert Chorale, the Robert Shaw Festival Singers, Fuma Sacra, the Choir of Trinity Church Wall Street, the Oregon Bach Festival Chorus, and Consprare. All right, now, Choir Nation, I've given you a little intro, but if you want Dr. Burnett's bio and the full show notes for this episode, head on over to www.ryanguth.com forward slash 014 for episode 14. All right, Dr. Burnett, Choir Nation is ready. They're at the edge of their chairs, folders open, looking your way. Are you ready to deliver the downbeat? I'm ready, Ryan. Fantastic. All right. Well, the downbeat segment is the biographical segment of our our journey today. So we're going to start by having you tell us about the moment when you knew you were going to dedicate your life to music. It's hard for me to pin down an exact moment, as it, I think it's probably true for a lot of us. Um, there are a couple important points in my early musical life that I might offer up. One is honestly in the Allstate Choir that I sang in in high school. I think uh, that was the first time standing, uh, I think we were singing Shenandoah, the James Herb arrangement, where I kind of realized the uh, magnitude of what I was experiencing emotionally and kind of the reality that I was surrounded by, you know, 150 other uh, male singers who seemed to love this as much as I did. Um, and so that had a really uh, kind of distinct impact on me uh, as a person and a singer and a musician and uh, kind of piqued my curiosity about, you know, what, what more could there be out there uh, in terms of trying to create those types of experiences for myself musically that I can share with uh, other people who care so deeply about, uh, about singing and, and choral music. Um, 
Another time I, I might kind of point to, uh, kind of will probably dovetail with uh, what you may ask me in a few minutes, and it has to do with uh, being a student as an undergraduate at Stanford University, you know, uh, doing a major other than music and, and having to come to terms with the fact that I was really missing music which made me kind of say, ah, oh, this is something that really is part of me. It's inside of me, and I, I, I can't shake it, and I don't really want to. And, and I think that's kind of maybe one of the big turning points for me in terms of deciding to really throw myself headlong into the pursuit of, of music as a vocation. Great. Well, let's let's go back a little bit. Uh, you had mentioned uh, the Allstate Choir uh, that you sang in. I guess I'm assuming that was back in Texas. Actually, I grew up in New York State and sang oh. in the New York All-State Choir. Yep. Okay. And it, that that choir was conducted uh, by Dr. James Jordan. No kidding. Okay. Sure was, well, yeah. Look at that. Um, now, all right, give us a little bit of information about sort of your, your upbringing in music. I feel like I got started in music later than a lot of my colleagues and contemporaries. I... Um, I sang in the choir in like fifth and sixth grade and was in all county choir. Um, I think I sang for a little while in a church choir, but that was kind of here and here and there, nothing consistent. And then I, I walked into a program as a high school student that was just at the beginning of, of a real surge in terms of interest from the students and uh, visibility and and kind of a dynamic, vibrant quality that uh, one of my mentors brought to it. Um, and it wasn't even till late in high school when I started to consider, you know, that this was something that was really important to me and this is where I spent my, my time thinking uh, and, and, and feeling my best. And just by uh, my own ability to kind of observe where I'm spending a lot of my uh, emotional time and a lot of my uh, priorities, it really all was pointing to the singing thing. And still by the time I graduated high school, I wasn't quite sure that, that, that there was anything out there that was going to meet my, uh, my needs in a way that I could make a living as a musician, um, which uh, you know, led to a couple of decisions that I corrected shortly after uh, entering. So what was that major at Stanford? Yeah, 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 that's it, exactly. So I left and graduated high school. Well, let me step back a little bit and kind of set the, set the framework a little bit. Mm -hmm. I had an unusual uh, experience, uh, unusual in all the kind of positive ways. I grew up on a military post in New York, right on the Hudson River at the United States Military Academy. And uh, my dad uh, is a football coach, and he coached there at, at Army for 17 years. My brother and I were raised there. We were fortunate enough to be stationary in an otherwise very um, unstationary career that my dad had. College football coaching is notoriously uh, turbulent in terms of employment. And also, uh, we were kind of a permanent fixture around which a lot of uh, military families were moving in and moving out, and we were stationary. So it was a really unique setup. So as I went through middle school and high school, I found that my friends were mostly sons and daughters of permanent professors at West Point, most of whom were in the Army. Um, and 
if you know anything about the academy, you know that, that it's a really robust engineering school. And so, you know, a lot of my friends seem to have this kind of predestined uh, future ahead of them in, in the science and math area. And I had always been able to hang right with them academically. I was good at math and science. And so then I kind of thought, oh, well, I need to be an engineer too. And so I, I pursued um, really kind of prestigious schools and, and ultimately opted to enroll at Stanford as an engineering major. I'd been awarded an Army ROTC scholarship and kind of was on the fast track to a place that, that I ultimately realized I didn't really want to be. And all of those things were amazing. And I was so fortunate to, to have all those circumstances and um, ultimately made the, the choice to, to give a lot of that up and to correct my course toward where I'd really wanted to be and needed to be all along, which was in music. And, and I, by that time, I'd sort of figured out I wanted to do a music ed degree and those aren't available at Stanford. And so I, I took that opportunity to kind of regroup. And at that point, my parents had, were moving from um, New York down to Oklahoma. My dad joined the football staff at Oklahoma State. I stumbled into a fantastic choral music program at Oklahoma State, which was exactly what I needed at the time. It took me where I was and, and, and delivered me to a place I needed to be. And, uh, you know, I, I've never looked back. It's been, it was a really... Uh, interesting turn of events, but uh, but one that I'm quite sure is was the right one. It's great how things work out, and you know the stars align themselves, and you ended up being at probably exactly where you needed to be. So that's great. Well, let's let's move on to your worst musical moment. So this is kind of that thing going. You know, if you look back, you could consider it a failure, but it was something that you definitely uh, learned from and you took away from. So what would that moment be? Can you bring us there? Yeah, I've, I've wrestled with this. Um, you know, we, I've been through a number of, of performances, both as a conductor and singer, where, you know, things didn't go like you wanted them to go. Um, but I think the, the, maybe the more important point that I could offer up with respect to that are times when um, either in just reflection after a concert or... Um, in perhaps listening to a recorded version of that concert, you know, I realized, oh my goodness, you know, of course that's what they needed and I never gave that to them in, in the entire time that I was preparing them. You know, it could be something as easy as just uh, a rehearsal technique or some sort of um, perspective on, on the piece itself. And I think about that a lot in terms of uh, when I taught high school. You know, I think I really got to be a, a, a better teacher you know, over the course of the five years where I taught in high schools. And, and I look back and think, oh, boy, I wish I could have given those first kids that I taught what I was able to give them in that fifth year. And I'm sure that's not an uncommon experience, and a, pe- a lot of people would probably share it. Um, but yeah, I just kind of think about uh, about those students who I wish I could have been better for, and you know I don't beat myself up too much about it. But but those are important people, and they have you know one ninth grade year and one tenth grade year, and 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 then sometimes I wish I could have been better for them. And then one other thing that I'm not sure this fits really tidily into uh, the envelope of worst musical experience, but mm-hmm. one thing that I do look back at in terms of 
when I was teaching high school is that I don't think I did a good job at all of encouraging those kids to sing after high school. You know, and which was weird because I was, you know, I sang after high school and I was involved in, you know, college choirs, both curricular and extracurricular. And then I was also involved with, uh, at the time, in community music making and professional. And look at all these opportunities there are to sing and employ all of the skills that you learn through a, you know, a really rigorous high school music program. And I just regret that I feel like most of them didn't go on to sing. And I think I could have done a better job at kind of providing them examples of, of how they can continue this because it's a lifelong art. I mean, I look at the people who I've worked with in community choruses um, in, in different areas of the country and just admire that they are uh, devoted to, to continuing to sing. And I feel like maybe I missed an opportunity with some of my students when I was teaching that I didn't um, put more of that out there. Well, you have a, a different perspective now because you're, you're coming back and you're looking at it as a college professor, right? And if there were more Dr. Burnett's in high school encouraging their students to sing in college, that would definitely help, you know, somebody in your line of work for sure. But um, I mean, I'm sure that's not what you're necessarily getting at. But but did you, did you feel like you had that realization when you stepped into college teaching? Yeah, it's possible. I, I don't know if I could say it came directly from that, although you're absolutely right there. You know, for instance, uh, my colleagues and I talk often at, at the University of Georgia about how certain we are that there are probably a thousand students running around the, the UGA campus who sang in high school in choir, um, maybe all state choir, and who aren't presently singing, and how we, we sort of lament that and wish that we knew a way to, um, you know, ring them back in. But yeah, it's probably, it's probably a little bit of that, Ryan, and also just a, a, a deeper conviction inside of myself as I grow as a conductor and musician um, about working with um, singers at all levels and just wishing there were more um, all the time. Well, you know, you're, you're, with your father being a football coach, right, and you talking about sort of what we just talked about with the recruitment kind of thing, I mean, you probably have an excellent coach in in the world of recruitment and i and i and i don't think we necessarily spend time uh, in the choral world you know going to those all state festivals and going i want that kid to come to to my college or or whatever like i feel like that would be a very interesting sort of model to set up where where you know we would recruit into the collegiate world just like we would we recruit into the you know in the collegiate singing world, I should say, uh, just like we recruit into the collegiate sports world. Now, I guess it has to do with offering scholarships and things like that. But I mean, you know, I feel like we, there's a lot of missed opportunity there. There is. And I, you know, I've taken advantage of, you know, those years of listening to my dad um, on the phone uh, in the evenings, uh, January, February, March, you know, where he's talking one-on-one on the phone with uh, candidates to come play football at wherever he happened to be coaching. And uh, the, I know, you know he would be on the road for uh, weeks at a time sometimes making school and home visits to those players. And it's a lot of one-on-one uh, attention. And that's a sort of uh, aspect of his job that's built in to uh, 
to what he does. So there's time created for that inside his, his uh, life, mm-hmm. which are those spring months, right? When the football season is not in full effect or winter and spring months. That's a good point. And yeah. And so it's a little bit different for us because our, our academic teaching goes year round. But, um, but I have made a point to try to, to bring into it a, a, an element of one-on-one contact because it's so easy for a student to walk in the door as a senior in high school stand in front of this uh, panel of voice and choral faculty and sing their two audition pieces and walk out and never make any connection, never you know, get to really know anybody. And I think it, it really does matter when you make the attempt to you know, reach out to somebody one-on-one, even if it's just to, to call them at home and say, hey, I know you've already been accepted. Uh, what, what questions can I, can I ask, answer for you and, and how can I make you want to come to UGA? That's that's a great that's a great first step. Absolutely. Well, and, I, and we also see a lot of choirs. Uh, I'm sorry, a lot of um, universities doing like high school choral festivals. Or we just had uh, Bryce Hayes on the show. Um, he was episode ten, and uh, he talked about the uh, Virginia Youth uh, Men's Choral Festival that that they he hosts at JMU. You know, which gets 350 you know high school men to come on campus and sing for a few days, you know, so that's another excellent sort of recruitment idea, you know, there as well. So Yeah, a lot of the big programs do some version of that. Um, uh, we have one at UGA too, and um, it's a really great way to get kids onto your campus and just to, you know, put a, uh, a face like mine or my colleague Dan Barra's face with the school UGA and connect those things and feel like, Oh, I've been in this building and you know, that's familiar. It's a lot about familiarity, which makes people attracted to certain places. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Well, listen, for the sake of time, I I definitely want to move on here to your proudest musical moment. This is sort of that self-affirming moment, you know, uh, where, where you realize, you know, I'm doing the right thing. So could you paint us a picture of that moment so we can visualize it with you? Sure, I'll, I'll give you a recent one. Um, I don't know if I could label it the proudest of all ever, but because I've you know had a lot of varied experiences. But as a teacher and a conductor, recently, um, I took the UGA Men's Glee Club um, on the road up to Lexington, Kentucky, and they did an exchange concert with the University of Kentucky Men's Choir. And uh, people who you know pay attention to these kinds of things know that the Kentucky men's choir is one of the the best in the country. Um, Really robust men's singing at its finest at at Kentucky. And I wanted uh, wanted my students to experience that. And so, you know, we took 25 guys uh, on the road. That's all that could make the trip. Um, And we sang for them and they sang for us. And their, their men's choir numbers about 90 to 100. And so, you know, this was an experience for a bunch of my guys who, none of whom are voice majors. You know, some are music majors, like they're guitar majors, or um, they play an instrument, a brass instrument or woodwind instrument, but a lot of non-majors. And so took them on the road. And, you know, I was, at the end of that concert, I was just beaming with pride. And I, I rarely kind of get all puffed up in terms of satisfaction, but I was so satisfied with their singing. I was so proud at how well they were able to, in one moment, kind of capture everything that we had worked toward uh, all semester long and sang beautifully in tune and, and delivered you know, 
what I what I felt were very meaningful uh, performances. And you know, in the shadow of of a, a daunting presence of the the men's choir from Kentucky. However, I have to qualify that just by saying that Kentucky was nothing but welcoming to us and encouraging. And it was a, it was a weekend of camaraderie and I'm very grateful for that, but just so proud of my guys that they were able to go there and sing as well as they were. Now, did you, did you have a chance to conduct or, or were you working with, with their director? Um, I conducted my, uh, the, I conducted the UGA men's glee club Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, Jeff Johnson, the director of choral activities at Kentucky, conducted the men's choir from Kentucky, and then we combined for a piece at the end, which I conducted, which was a uh, a lot of fun. Great, awesome. Well, are there are there recordings or samples on YouTube or anything like that? Or that's a good question. I know that that was recorded, and I haven't gone looking. I've seen some pictures, but uh, yeah, I'd be eager to know if there are any floating around out there. Well, if you find anything, let us know and send it our way, and we'll put it on your show notes page. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, awesome. All right, well, let's move into the second segment, which is your forte, and uh, share with share with us what that is. This is hard for me because I, I feel like it's, um, you know, uh, a hard thing for me to to, to talk uh, about myself in in those terms. However, there are things that I think I do well, and I shouldn't be ashamed to you know, to discuss them out loud. Absolutely not. Every guest does and they all have the same conflict. Oh, you want me to say nice things about myself? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. I mean, and, you know, I can do this knowing that, you know, there are a ton of people who I've learned from, you know, and who I've observed and, and none of this is original. But one thing that I think I have gotten pretty good at, sort of by virtue of the fact that my career as a conductor has been somewhat varied and, um, not, um, always fast track beeline toward a certain direction is that I've gotten to work with a lot of different types of choirs from uh, younger singers like uh, junior high. Uh, I taught high school for a long time. I've taught uh, univer- at the university level. I've held a number of different community chorus positions. I, uh, I work with professional singers on a regular basis. Um, and and I feel like one thing that I've gotten kind of good at is is something that a friend of mine terms situational leadership, where you can kind of size up uh, in a quick fashion what the most immediate needs are, and and what is the best course of action to meet those needs. So, which won't always be the same because you know uh, a choir of um, eighty community members who vary in range and and of age range and uh, experience musically. Um, that that's a considerable difference from a group of 24, 32 professional singers, which is considerably different from uh, eight junior high boys, you know, who are singing Red River Valley or something like that. So uh, I think I've gotten pretty good at adapting my skills to to be able to be a teacher at all levels and um, to just provide for them the whatever le- leadership that is that gets them from point A to point B in the most reliable and efficient fashion and keeping the process positive and enjoyable and fun. I hope that's true of you. Yeah, no, it's okay. So I really like this term situational leadership. So this is the ability to just jump in and do whatever it takes, right? Is that, am I summing it up right? I think so, but I would even add to that um, what I've come to understand, or maybe this is something that 
it may be outside the the definition that others would use for situational leadership. But for me, it's the ability for me to identify in myself a wide palette of available um, strategies, a wide palette of available um, uh, beliefs, um, and I can tap into different facets of my personality. Um, if I think that one will be the best way to uh, to get done whatever the job is at hand, I I came to this not through just kind of uh, radical acceptance, but through kind of a challenge in my own mind, saying, "Well, you know, I sometimes watch uh, choral conductors, and you feel like you know they're a little bit putting on a show sometimes, and and some are really good at being a flash in the pan." But then I have to go back and give, uh, give some credit in many cases to them realizing, you know, this is what's required in this moment, you know, and, and it's less about being inauthentic sometimes and it's more about, um, about serving the most immediate uh, needs of whoever is in front of you. I mean, you've certainly had a, a, a great deal of experience. I mean, as I was reading your, your, your bio here, I'm like, oh my God, he really has done every facet of choir, I think, that you could probably do, you know, um, yeah, be it youth, high school, university, community, professional, singing and all of the above, you know. Um, and I'm so grateful for all of that. I really am. And and I feel like it's something that keeps me centered and grounded and um, and offers me a great perspective, you know, as whatever ambitions I have for the future, you know, I, I know where I've come from and, and know that all of that is as real as anything else that'll ever happen. So do you have any, um, sort of skills, uh, not, I don't want to say skills. Do you have any, um, I'm trying to think of, of the way to, to phrase this, um, strategies, I guess, for, switching gears quickly from, you know, I mean, are, do you have a situation where you go from conducting a university choir and then going straight to a youth choir or whatever? Do you have any strategies for switching gears that quickly? Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it? I mean, just figuring out, you know, what is it that allows somebody to move fluidly from situation to situation? And I think um, the only thing I could offer up in terms of, uh, of that would be uh, empathy. You know, to be able to empathize with whoever it is that you're interacting with. You know, um, I know what it feels like to uh, be a professional singer or I know what it feels like to be a college singer. And it's to tap into the, the mindset and, and approximate in your own mind uh, the, um, the paradigm in, in which they arrive in front of you, you know, and just, you know, speaking a language and, and delivering a message to, to those people uh, from a sense of, I, I know who you are, and I see what, you, what you're trying to do here, and, and I know your challenges, and I'll, I'll, f- help, I'll help you unkink the pipes. Yeah, I, I like the term, you know, the term empathy that you use there, because uh, I think a lot of times, you know, members of Choir Nation struggle with, you know, getting the desired result, maybe with with their own choir, and um, maybe they just don't quite have the perspective or, or the empathy that they that they need um, 
you know, to, to begin to understand what the members of their choir really need. So I know, and it's really difficult too, because sometimes, um, I, well, maybe, maybe a lot of the times, uh, those singers at, at certain levels, they don't know what they need, you know? And so that's where you get to marry the perspective that you bring as an adult and with training to the, uh, the, your ability to be empathetic towards, uh, uh, a younger age level or a less experienced age level, you know, or not age level, but musical level, you know, just trying to bring who you are and who they are together and figure out how can that, um, match up and, and open doors for, for musical, um, expression. Right. So if you take the, if you take the time to, um, show that empathetic nature about about yourself you you start to build a trust and a rapport with your singers um and you're also you know by also anticipating what you believe that their needs are you know and you'll you'll build that trust in in that rapport with them and uh you know they'll probably impress you with the result you know i think you're right and i think it's it's also important to kind of point out that um that that empathy is often invisible you know, it's not something that's wear, worn emblematically on on your uh, on your person. There's a, so, I mean, I think the people who are really good at this uh, get by with it without notice. And uh, and it's interesting to watch a variety of different types of people employ strategic, you know, and situational leadership and empathy in a variety of circumstances. And and nobody's ever saying, oh, I see what he or she's doing here. They're just, wow, that's really effective. All right, so you know we talked about here this well-rounded experience, um, I should say, set of experiences that you have had um, in your career. Um, the term situational leadership, um, empathy. You know, if we were to really just sum it all up, sum your forte up um, in a couple sentences, you know, what would what would that be after this conversation that we could just impart on Choir Nation and have them take that away? I think I would just uh, might it might come in a in a mm, form of uh, encouragement or advice to people who are out there uh, in the trenches every day, whatever those trenches might look like. That you know you can you can tap into lots of different parts of yourself. We all we each are many many things, and sometimes we're uh, uh, reticent to to dip into certain parts of our personality. I mean, and I say this, I'm looking at myself in the mirror when I say this, of course. I mean, we have reservations, we have uh, insecurities, but to challenge yourself to dip into parts of your personality that aren't the ones you always put most immediately uh, forward and and learn to, to figure out what types of your, what aspects of your personality and your skill set are most valuable in a given situation. Perfect. All right, well, let's move into the Echelerando round. And that is the sort of lightning style round of our, of our uh, interview today. So um, we'll start with what project are you most excited about right now? Well, I think usually for me, and I think probably for most of my colleagues, it's whatever you're working on at the time. Mm-hmm. So I've just, uh, just finished a, a healthy amount of conducting um, over the course of the last five months or so and now I get to be a singer for a couple months and so that that's an, been an important part of of my adult 
musical life is professional choral singing. And so I get to spend a, a fair amount of the next two months doing that. I'll be in um, Austin, Texas, singing with Consperari that first week of June. Um, and then in uh, July and August, I'll be in Santa Fe, New Mexico, singing with the Santa Fe Desert Chorale. So it's nice for me to be able to take off my conductor hat a little bit and go um, sit in the, the choral ranks and the singer ranks and, and uh, remind myself of all the things that I could do better as a conductor and also be encouraged by, uh, by the things I know I'm doing well already. It's a real great way for me to be refreshed. And you have some really awesome mentors in the directors of both Consparé and the Santa Fe Desert Chorale, and, and you get to observe, and you, know, you also have the ability to, to yeah, I, like you said, sort of sit back and, and um, feed yourself a little bit there, too. You know, that sounds really great. Yeah, and to just be taught, you know, to be led and be taught and to be uh, part of a, a corporate endeavor um, from a different angle, that's really valuable to me. And and I'm grateful for those opportunities because they have, like you said, provided me the opportunity to work with a number of different uh, conductors, all of whom I've learned great things uh, by singing uh, in their choirs. So uh, I'm looking forward to that in the next couple months. Well, we, we're definitely going to have Craig Hella-Johnson and, and Josh Haberman uh, both on this podcast in the near future. So um, we'll go f- full circle around with uh, both Conspari and Santa Fe Desert Corral soon, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll look forward to hearing their interviews. All right, well, let's, let's give yourself advice for this is, uh, you know, stepping back, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. some advice for your younger self. I mean, you're not, you're not very old as it is, but I mean, if you had to step yeah, back. Yeah, what are you, you trying know, to say, Ryan? <laughs> if you had to step back a couple of years to when you were 14, what would you tell yourself? I don't know if I could go that far back, but as an as an early, uh, you know, aspiring musician, I, I there's I don't know what it is about me. There's probably I don't know maybe I uh, maybe it's the Gemini in me that I you know I can't uh, possibly escape. But I have a, a general uh, tendency to uh, to have to experience things myself and be proven things myself. And so then I'm, I might just counsel myself to, to be a little bit, maybe not a hundred percent, but a little bit more willing as a, as a young person to kind of trust, uh, the system or maybe said better, trust those who have been through things that you have not yet been through. There have been cases I've been really good about that and taken, uh, and he did great advice given to me as, as a young person. But, uh, I'm also kind of skeptical by nature, I think, and and it's always taken me some time to say, uh, maybe this is true, maybe it's not. I'm a I'm a big questioner, so I think if I could have, I might have been able to save myself a little bit of of um, I don't know, I won't call it anxiety, but uh, consternation if I were more willing to uh, just blindly accept, you know, the prevailing wisdom. What do you think makes a outstanding conductor or um, educator? I think um, there are many, many things. Um, and kind of alluding to the, the palette that I've referred to before, uh, you know, we all have different strengths. But I think the thing that, um, the two things that, that make great choral educators and choral teachers um, and conductors are that they have a, a real passion and uh, a connection to 
the sung word. Uh, they love to hear people sing. They love to sing great text. They love to do it communally. And that which sort of bridges the gap into the next one, which is that they, they like people. You know, they, they like interacting with each other. They like, uh, they like uh, bringing along people um, who share an intention in a given moment. And, and I think those are the great ones, the ones that are really able to commit themselves to that and find ways to do that that are generous and honest. What is your ideal morning routine? Ay, ay, ay. Um, I, I'm not like the kind of guy that loves the morning. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not the, I'm not the grumpy one that, you know, you can't talk to before they've had a cup of coffee. I'm not a big coffee drinker, but, uh, maybe diet Dr. Pepper, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I will, I like to sleep. And so I'll kind of sleep in for, for as long as I can get away with, uh, and usually, hop out of bed, take a shower, get dressed, uh, grab something to eat and eat in the car on the way to whatever the first thing is I have to do that morning. So I'm not, a, I'm not like some of my friends and, and colleagues who get up earlier than they have to and enjoy the quiet in the morning. All of those things sound wonderful to me, but I've <laughs> never really been able to actualize them myself. So it's kind of a quick thing for me in the morning, up and out. All right. So what is your, um, most... I, I, I will, act, oh, I ahead. do exercise in the morning sometimes. So that's one thing that kind of gets me going. Well, that's so, good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I only do that because I don't like exercising late in the afternoon. So I, that's just the lesser of two evils. Do it in the morning, get it done with. Right. No, in the, the afternoon is, is just, I mean, you, I used to do that and it was like, oh, I'm now I'm gross. I have to shower again. You know, like, I know. Yeah, I know. And I feel better throughout the day for having exercised in the morning. Yeah, a little dopamine rush in the morning never hurt anybody. Right. That's right. All right. So uh, let's go to the f most favorite concert that you've attended. Hmm. I could offer a couple of different um, possibilities for that. I Pick. think. Pick one. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's one. Uh, Haydn Creation with John Elliott Gardner at. Um, Carnegie Hall a few years ago in the sense that uh, it was probably the closest thing to you know, recorded quality perfection you know I use that term with re reserves and with air quotes but uh, but it was really really tight and impressive for all those reasons um, on the other hand there was a, a performance I went to at the National ACDA convention that was held in LA and I don't remember the year um, and it, it, I was, I had, t it was the ticketed event, the big choral uh, orchestral masterpiece they usually always try to do at those conventions. And it was the LA Phil and the LA Master Crown. They were doing Schoenberg Girlita. And, um, I just didn't feel like going. I was tired and I, but I, I, I went and within m a minute of that opening pastoral, um, play in I just was riveted and captured for the next couple of hours and I, I look at that as as one of the most interesting concerts I've been to because it could turn me around so quickly from this cranky uh, uh, tired disinterested concert goer into like sitting on the edge of my chair and at times like weeping so um, so those are two that are kind of different uh, ones in technical prowess and one was 
admittedly under-rehearsed by all the people that played and sang, but was still captivating just because of the desire and the, the honesty and the um, maybe adrenaline. I don't know. What is your favorite personal growth or music book? Yeah. Uh, I think I would have to say that the book I go back to the most often is the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu, the Chinese uh, ancient classic text, series of poems uh, that I've read all of and sometimes go back and, you know, I'll, I'll turn a page and be like, oh my gosh, yes, absolutely, I get that. And I'll read the next page and I'll be like, what is this? And yet when I go back, I might have the opposite reaction the next time. So it's, it's been a thing that I've gone back to over and over and just really value that and suggest everybody reads it. It's a, a great look into uh, uh, shifting the way you look at the world. And, and it's been really valuable to me. It's, yes, it's, it's about wisdom into action. Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you were to try to, you know, blanket it with some sort of uh, description, that might do. Well, I will put a, a link to Tao Te Ching uh, in your show notes at ryanguth.com forward slash 014. And uh, if, if the listeners of Choir Nation would like to purchase that book, they can go right there, click on that link. They'll be taken to Amazon and they can, they can grab it right there. Do it. If you had only one concert left in your lifetime acquire with limitless ability and access to a sold out concert venue of your choosing, where would your final concert be and what would be the last piece on that program? Yeah. I mean, I, I knew this question was coming and, uh, you know, I, I could think of a million different answers. You know, it could be, we just uh, need one. <laughs> I know, I know. And I'm going to give it to you, but it may not be kind of what you were hoping for. Uh-oh, uh, okay. The Ver- Verdi Requiem, Mozart Requiem, I mean, sorry, Brahms Requiem, Bach Mass in B minor. Those are always the big ones that I point to as my faves. Mm-hmm. But I think if I was given like one final concert that I was going to be able to be part of in my life, I might like to just be in a uh, uh, less... Um, not so much an iconic place, uh, a less uh, um, os- ostentatious place. And I might just like to sing simple hymns and folk songs. And and those are the things that speak to me mo- most deeply sometimes. And when sung beautifully, so if I've got a choir of limitless ability, I think I'd make a pile of, uh, of folk songs that I you know love to hear. Because when it comes right down to it, I love to hear people sing. I love to hear voice, the voice. And, and I think that's sometimes expressed most directly through simple music. And so I'd go with, I'd go with that. So what would your last piece be? What would your last find your final folk song be? Uh, yeah. Um, it might be long time ago, the Copeland. Okay. That would, that'd be a good representative one, I think. Perfect. All right. Well, at this point, we'd like to uh, have you give the listeners some parting words of encouragement and then uh, the best way that they could connect with you moving forward. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, this advice was given to me. um, And, you know, I, I, I pass it on freely because I think there's so much to be gained from it. And it's just, you know, to chop wood and carry water, you know. Just find the find the things that are uh, habitual 
and find the things that are regular and find a way to make them meditative and considerate parts of your life and your work. Um, you know, sometimes that's the most frustrating stuff. We're uh, saddled with um, administrivia and uh, paperwork. And sometimes uh, I've been able to successfully find um, good meditation in those tasks. You know, they're not, they're not fun in and of themselves, but, but just, you know, when in doubt, uh, chop wood and carry water, you know, it, it might not be the most appropriate, uh, but there's that also that saying, which I think kind of gets at the same idea, you know, when you're going through hell, keep going, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just keep, just keep moving and, uh, and find, uh, find peace and, and, and space for thought in, in menial tasks. And, uh, I think there's lots of richness to be reaped from, from that kind of work. Great. And, and how can we connect with you moving forward? How, how would you best like the listeners of Choir Nation to get a hold of Dr. J.D. Burnett if they'd like to, uh, to, to speak with you more? Sure. I'm on Facebook and, and pretty easy to find that way, J.D. Burnett. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I never use it. So that probably would not be the most effective way. Okay. Although my Twitter handle, I think, is at BurnettJD. Um, and email, of course, is probably the most easy way. And uh, you can look that up on the University of Georgia School of Music website under the faculty. My, my name is there, but it's easy. It's just burnettj at uga.edu. And for the convenience of Choir Nation, I, I will put all three of those contact methods on your, your show notes so people could find you easily there. So, um, Listen, we, we really are, are so appreciative that you spent the time with, uh, with my, myself and Choir Nation today, and I know that we are even more ready to step up to the podium with purpose. So thank you so much for being my guest today on Find Your Forte. Thanks for asking me, Ryan. It's been fun. Well, there you have it. That was our interview with Dr. J.D. Burnett. Next week, we have an amazing interview with Lady Susie Digby of the UK. She is an outstanding choral director. She is also the head honcho of the UK's biggest music education charity, the Voices Foundation, which has raised over $50 million for music education efforts in the UK. And and I'll let her tell you more about that next week. But uh, just an excellent, excellent guest. And she really delves into some of the negatives of asking for money and some of the hurdles that she goes through when she asks for money. Uh, And so if anybody has that little bit of entrepreneurial bug in them like I do, it's a really great conversation. I know many of you probably won't admit it, but I think a lot of you would really like to live life on your terms. And that's what I'm all about. And this woman uh, definitely has some great insight on, on that sort of entrepreneurial journey. Uh, as well as being an excellent, excellent choral uh, musician and conductor. So can't wait to share that with you next week. Also, I want to make sure that you know that we have some exclusive content coming out via email. So head on over to ryanguth.com and throw your email in there, and you will get my five-part series on working with changing male voices. And there's, a, there's basically some accompanying material that comes out with our Technique Tuesday podcast that I don't put on social media and it only goes to people who subscribe 
to email. So head on over to ryanguth.com and click subscribe. And if you love what you're hearing, and you're going to hear it in my outro, but if you love what you're hearing, please go on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review for me. Uh, we would love five stars. That helps us get more people uh, in our audience. It helps iTunes uh, favor our podcast and the ratings and things like that. So uh, if you love it, please let me know. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to email me, ryanmguth at gmail.com. Thank you and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Find Your Forte with Ryan Guth. As always, join Ryan online at www.ryanguth.com for detailed show notes and discussions on every episode. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Until next time, be amazing.